Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Playful Experiences podcast. Uh, my name is Matthew DeLine. I'm a graduate student at Goldsmiths University of London, and I'm here with two of my classmates, Ben. Uh, yes. Say hi, Ben. Hi. Uh, and Tommy. Say hi, hi Tommy. Guys. Uh, and we're here basically starting up a podcast for our uh, games program MA. Uh, the program's name is Independent Games and Playable Experience Design. We've been here for about what, two and a half weeks at this point. Like uh, to the third week. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, just some of us are, are very tired at this moment. Just kind of getting getting into the swing of things with school. Yeah, it's very overwhelming at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but we're making time to sort of do this because, uh, well, for a number of reasons. One, we want to talk about games, which is going to be one of the big focuses of this uh, podcast. And we want to share that with uh, everybody that's listening. So uh, to sort of give you guys a idea of where we're going uh, forward with this, uh, is that we're, we're currently working on, on a website. We've got the domain name for, and we're going to be building out written experiences, sort of podcasts. This is sort of where we're taking this from here at the moment. Uh, and on a week-by-week -week basis, the general goal of this particular podcast is to collect a few of us here so that we can talk about games, talk about how those games relate to our studies, and share some of the knowledge that we've been learning with everyone that's listening. Uh, so a basic idea of the outline or the flow uh, is we're going to have introductions. So in this case, I've basically talked to introduce my name uh, is Matthew. I'm talking with Ben and Tommy. Uh, in the future, we'll be able to give more detailed introductions and have us speak a little bit about our backgrounds uh, so that you guys can get a chance to know us a little bit better. Uh, then we'll talk about what we've been playing this week, and that includes games that we're doing in class and also the games that we've been playing outside of class. Uh, then we'll also have a brief roundup of some of the concept we've been exploring in, you know, whatever we've been doing. So that can be anything uh, over there. So we're not going to take everything that we've been learning, but the things that we feel relevant and that we'd like, like to discuss are things that have come out and really surprised us and things that we've been really happy about, things that we're excited about in our studies. Uh, the last option, in this case, we're not going to be doing uh, either of these two sections later today, but we've got what I'm calling the bonus round. Okay. Yeah, which is a silly kind of pun, uh, but that's where we'd play a game or we'd interview a developer or a teacher uh, or we, we would have an opportunity to exhibit some of the work that we're doing. This would probably work better in a video format. That's a goal that we're working towards, but at this point, all we've really got is this. Uh, and uh, in the future as well, once we've got an email set up that you can email in, we would be able to take questions from the audience and answer those on the podcast as well. So. I uh, hope you enjoy where we're going forward with this. We're going to start with the idea, maybe 30 minutes to an hour for each of these episodes going forward, and uh, talk about some of the games that uh, we've been playing. So, Ben, what have you been playing this week? Uh, this week, uh, I've been playing a game that's been popular for a long time, but uh, I've only just started playing it because it came to the Nintendo Switch, and it's Stardew Valley. Oh, I've been, I, I have it, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I loved Harvest Moon when I was a kid. Oh, okay, yeah, see, I never played any of those games. Um, the only thing I've played anywhere near this is Animal Crossing. Okay. Um, and uh, I can, I, I see the draw. I can kind of see why people are playing it so much, and I've been playing it a lot. I've been playing probably about three hours a day. Okay. Which I don't have time for. Yeah. I've got homework, <laughs> I've got lots of things to do. Um, and I've got actually kind of a, a, ne a negative feeling about it. Okay. At the moment. How so? 
So like when I was a student at university, there was a summer uh, where everyone kind of went off and saw their families. I stayed back uh, and a friend of mine from Lincoln came down and we kind of stayed in this house uh, and we set up a projector. I, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but we set up uh, a GameCube of Animal Crossing. Okay. And this wasn't the intention, but what ended up happening is we played that game for a solid eight hours a day <laughs> for probably what was about three months. Uh, me, uh, Nick, and my housemate Matt, uh, Mark, who we ended up falling out with completely over this. Uh, and <laughs> it was a really weird social experiment because we, it became a very negative race for just trying to achieve as much as we could in the game. To pay off our mortgages first, yeah. to, to kind of make friendships first, we would steal each other's friends, yeah. we would deliberately sabotage people's relationships. Um, so I had, yeah, I could go into it a lot more, but there's, I'm getting callbacks now playing this game and I've just started playing it. Yeah. You can, uh, you start off with the farm that's been given to you by your grandfather. Um, you can start building out crops slowly. It's actually a lot slower than Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to build up money, to buy crops, and it takes a long time for things to come in. So crops can take, you know, 10 days to come, to come in. So yeah. Um, so does the game operate on a day-by-day uh, -day basis? On a, it's uh, not day-by-day -day as in Animal Crossing, it's not real-time. Right, uh, so but day-by-day day in the game. Day-by-day day in the game. So a day is probably about mm, 10 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes. Okay. I think. Yeah. And then you sleep to progress to the next day? You do, you've got to get back to your bed. So basically, if you go too hard and get too excited and find yourself the other part of town and you exhaust yourself, uh, you won't get back to your bed and you'll probably get mugged. Yeah. Something like that. So there's lots of times I've got too excited and I'm literally crawling back to my bed as fast as I can at like 12.30 at night. Yeah. But I never make it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's been interesting, but I've actually, I'm, I'm thinking about deleting it because okay. I could see if I didn't have so much to do, I'd be playing it a lot more. Yeah. And I don't know if it's an enjoyable experience or just an addictive one. Okay. Yeah, yeah I have the same, same feelings about my experience with uh well i usually don't like to play um games too much because it takes a lot of time yeah i have i need a lot of time for my studies at the moment um i haven't played like any games for like at least three months right now i just bought like last week i, I bought Braid the game oh I yeah you heard about it yeah mm -hmm. and i played like for one hour because, uh, yeah, I think Phoenix suggested that this game was really good. Yeah. But the problem is that it's a really, um, it's a game that's really story-driven. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very narrative storytelling, yeah. And I went to, like, I, I want to, like, go really fast and, yeah, because I always think about my studies when I play, so I really, I really wasn't focused at about the story at all. So I just skipped every right story detail. So you got a sense of guilt hanging over you at all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And like I don't like enjoy the full experience at the moment. Yeah. So I just yeah just sorry. kind of rushing through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's something I really need to. Yeah, I need need to work on because. I think that's a shame with Braid because out of all the games I've played, that was a game I think when I was in a quiet period and I actually just managed to think about nothing else about than that and yeah. read all of the text and take it all in. 
Um, yeah, at the moment I have no idea what I'm doing. I just yeah. Just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for, for those that are listening that aren't familiar with Braid, Braid is a game that came out, um, I think, maybe 2008 for the Xbox Live Arcade. 2009, I think. 2009. Uh, game created by Jonathan Blow. Uh, it's a 2D side-scrolling platformer game uh, that's got a very uh, unique artistic style about a man sort of running around in a suit who's going to try to retrieve his princess. Now, I don't want to go too much further into that because I think that this might be something that's worth coming back to once we've actually all gotten a chance to yeah, play well, it. Yeah, but the main mechanic is that you can rewind, rewind in time. Yeah. And that's like, you have to solve a lot of puzzles with it, so that's really fun and original, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think even, even to this point in time, like it's very similar to, did you guys ever play Prince of Persia Sands of Time? No, I did not. No, I saw it. Oh, was it a GameCube game as well? No, so um, I think that, yeah, actually, so yeah, so the original one came out, I played it on Xbox, so I believe there may have been a GameCube version of it as yeah. well, but it was that era, so GameCube, Xbox, and PlayStation 2 would have had the, uh, the Sands of Time, but that yeah. was a rewind mechanic that was not necessarily, I mean, that was that was maybe five years before Braid came out, um, but uh, that... Um, that mechanic ex itself sort of is not used as often as it could be mm. and something that I think is really interesting, that opportunity to sort of rewind time, especially sort of, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the Super Nintendo Classic that recently came out, they've got this ability to save states. And when you save states, it's really complicated to actually get to using that, but it saves a certain period of time mm. that you can jump to in, I think, five second increments to sort of choose where you want to reload your save from, which is weird. Uh, so it's, a, it's an interesting implementa implementation of save states, and for whatever reason, it just reminded me of Braid, because I think I was using it with like yeah. one of the Mario games. What's funny is that I bought the, the, the Super Nintendo NES like two weeks ago, but I haven't found any time to play with it. No, before, yeah, so. neither have I. I turned it on and played Mario Kart with my girlfriend for like 20 minutes, and then uh, nice. now it's been homework, but yeah. <laughs> Um, well, uh, th that's fantastic. Like, uh, Braid is one of my favorite games, and I think it's really interesting and something that's definitely worth talking about. So, uh, I, I would say when you've got time, it's definitely worth reproaching, and and we should talk about it, this again. So, uh, have you gotten a chance to play anything else recently, Tommy, or is that pretty, pretty uh, much been kind of? No, it? but I have a problem. Like, I always used to play triple A games and mostly shooters. So yeah, that's something I really want to change about it, about myself. Yeah, I, I want to play like indie games with more different genres. The good thing I think, I think about indie games as well, and especially the problem that you're saying is that you don't have large amounts of playtime, is there's a load of great titles that you can approach, but you can actually tackle in little five-minute slots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of my favorite kind of uh, indie experiences games out there are ones that you literally can just drop into and then return a month later. Yeah, and really sort of get the essence of that. Like, yeah. I mean, like a good example that I can think of is Papers, Please. And I don't mm -hmm. know if you guys have both had a chance to play that no, yet. I've seen it on YouTube, though. Yeah. It's really, it's, it seems uh, The whole playthrough of the game doesn't take more than maybe an hour, if not maybe more than that. But like each little section, uh, you work as a border control agent in, I think, Aristotska is the yeah, name of the country, um, which is sort of an allegorical version of Russia, and it's sort of a um, uh, a meditation on border control, uh, being a person in 
that position and having to make these decisions on whether or not people go through and how that affects your own family, it takes something that's such this big idea and really sort of makes it small and very personal. And I think that's really interesting. That's also a game that you can be, you know, play a single session. I, I believe it's also on uh, iOS. I'm not sure about Android, uh, but it's definitely on, you can get it on Steam oh, yeah. and on iOS. And you can play a single section of that game in about five minutes and just sort of pick that up and play. And I think what Ben's really sort of putting on here, and again, so before jumping back into indie games, I don't want to sort of limit the things that we're talking about. So I want to say, you know, 100%, I don't think it's bad that you play AAA games or shooters. I love them. Yeah, But I think that broadening... The problem is that they all look alike. Like, yeah. I have to... I have to like even play things that I that are not really my main focus at the moment. Exactly. To gain more creativity, more yeah, more ideas and stuff. right. And I think challenging your boundaries in anything in life is really important. Yeah, and it's not just say for example, hey, I want to play more shooters. It's more like, hey, I want to go do something that I've never done before. Yeah. And how is this going to expand my worldview and and make me a better human. So, exactly. you know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's such an interesting way to just say, say, well, now I, hey, I just want to explore a new genre or a different way of playing games or a different mm -hmm. idea. And I think that what's sort of really exciting is sort of how we've had the ability here in this program to sort of jump out, you yeah. know, and, and try all these different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, before maybe talking about some of the games that I've been playing this week, uh, I, I did want to sort of bring out, you know, sp speaking of sort of playing games and we'll, sort of uh, come back to this a little bit uh, because we're skipping a, a section ahead where we're talking about concepts that we've explored in class, but because we really haven't had a chance to, have to do this podcast yet, and we're now about two and a half, uh, you know, three weeks in, we've done some really interesting things in class. And I think one of the things that really stuck out to me, uh, so speaking of broadening horizons, is um, some of the board games we've been playing recently and sort of how we used some of those concepts in one of our first lectures to do what's called rapid prototyping, which is creating a very quick game, uh, to uh, understand that. And uh, Ben and I were playing a game, you'll have to remind me the name here. Right, it's called Abandoned Planet by Don Eskeridge. It's a game, so he, um, I think he came up with Avalon as well, um, and a, a bunch of games. I think he was also involved in Netrunner, maybe, that might be wrong. Okay. But this is this is his kind of game that he's just released now. He, he kick-started it a couple of years back and it's just kind of shipping out now. Um, and the premise is that you're on a planet uh, which is about to explode. Uh, you have to go collect resources, but you can only leave the planet with another person. And it's a game of creating alliances and then deceiving those alliances and trying to steal resources. It's interesting, definitely. Yeah. I think it needs a few playthroughs. We've played it once, and I think maybe as you go on, right. learn more about the tactics that you can employ. But it's, it's interesting to sort of look back into a game that's sort of got all these different layers and imagine that it started off as something, uh, basically we had an exercise in one of our classes where we had to take a big piece of paper and draw a line across it. And we didn't really know what we were doing at first until it became clear that that line was the map for this board game we were gonna make in about 30 minutes, which when you think about that is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but we all came up with some really interesting ideas. And I think that sort of looking at how that process works has really sort of given me insight into how a lot of the games that we've been playing uh, work. Um, so uh, for example, uh, I've been playing uh, this game called Hat in Time. 
recently, which I really quite like. It's a 3D platformer game in the vein of uh, Mario 64. Um, just a few sort of uh, uh, maybe levels into it. And for people that are a fan of that 3D platformer game of that era, um, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's really charming. It's based on sort of like a hub world design so that you've got sort of like a central area from which you go to different levels and you collect these time pieces that have been hidden uh, with different objectives. So it's very similar to the castle in like Mario 64 and then you go to get stars and you go revisit the level and it changes a little bit and you get those stars again. Uh, and I think that it's interesting to sort of see that experience translated as well as it has been, because uh, I played, I don't know um, if either of you guys are fans of 3D platformers, it's one of the things that I quite like a bit, and I played ukulele earlier this year, which I liked, I, I love that kind of game, but I think that this sort of, uh, this game, Hat in Time, does this a little bit more successfully with, with clearly defined goals. Uh, ukulele seems to be a little bit more um, meandering and not quite as defined in the differences between the levels as I think that they could be. So, um, yeah, I, th I thought that was really interesting. Um, is it Hat in Time, is that a new developer that has just started off? Or is that, like, because uh, obviously Ukulele was kind I, of... I, I think rare. Ukulele was a bunch of people. I don't know the history behind it because I haven't had a chance to look into it, but I believe they're called Gears for Breakfast. Okay. Um, it was a Kickstarter project. Um, and so far, what I've played of it has been quite good. You, you you basically play this little girl who's got a hat, and this hat essentially uh, gives her the ability to look at her nearest objective to sort of give you an idea of where you're supposed to go in the game, but as you progress, you get new abilities, and those abilities are in the form of hats. So you've got this sprint hat, and you can run around. You've got an ice hat that sort of makes you do this ice drop thing, and there's another one that allows you to sort of reveal... Uh, platforms that don't exist in the world until you put on that hat and other kinds of cool things as, as they're going along. So, so far the experience that I've had uh, with that has been really good. Uh, another game that I've been playing recently is uh, Cuphead. Uh, and I know, Tommy, you really want to play yeah, that. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about it. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think, Ben, you've been playing Cuphead a little bit I've as well. I've played a little bit, yeah. yeah. I need to get more into it. But... So, so thus far, uh, I've made it maybe uh, maybe 10 or 12 levels into it. Did you play by yourself? or I did play by you... myself. So, like, I mean, in the future, again, uh, we were talking earlier in the podcast about goals for things to do in the future. I'd like to be able to sort of get some footage of us playing games yeah, together. Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, and I'd love to play. I mean, Cuphead would be a great example of that. So, so far, I've only played the single-player experience of that. Mm -hmm. uh, with that said, that single-player experience seems to be very good. Uh, and, and I'd be curious to sort of see Cuphead, uh, for the people that um, are listening and aren't familiar with what Cuphead is, it's a 2D uh, game that's sort of like a side-scrolling shooter, uh, very much like Gunstar Heroes. If you've heard of that, that was a Sega Genesis game uh, that basically had you running and sort of shooting things at the other end of the screen. It's a little bit subversive to what the expectations of, you know, hey, if you saw Cuphead, Cuphead is basically this very animated, looks like a 1920s Steamboat Willie yeah. Walt Disney cartoon. The the aesthetic of it, and something we've been talking about in classes, is sort of like, um, is it visceral? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sort of visceral, and a, a, sort of an example of visceral design, something that sort of, when you see it, was really amazing. Uh, the, uh, you know, just, just how the game looks and moves, very fluid. 
all the research they've done for the animation, it's, yeah. it's so spot on for that era. Yeah. And, and if you look back at all of those cartoons, uh, that it's I think that's what makes it so visceral. Is yeah. It's instantly recognisable. There's nothing, there's no element in that game that I've seen so far which looks like oh they've gone for something slightly modern and they've dropped it in. And yeah. It's jarring. It's, well, it looks it looks alive. Yeah. And 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 that's what that's what's incredible about it. And, and and again, sort of like I think I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but the the reason why I say this is sort of subverts expectations because Cuphead is this game that looks very animated very much like these sort of old cartoons and it's it turns out to be this brutally difficult um, yeah it's inspired by the game contra i don't know if yeah you've heard about yeah it. yeah very much very much like contra yeah yeah especially sort of like the original contra which if you've never heard of it before sort of like that's the reason why the konami code exists was so that people could beat contra and i i will admit ashamedly i've never actually <laughs> beaten contra without using the konami code so um uh, it's 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 uh, it's it's fantastic as an experience. It's it's typically, for the most part, you've got sections that are side-scrolling levels. Mm -hmm. So you go from one point to the end of the level, and you'll have to navigate platforms and defeat enemies along the way and survive to the end. There doesn't appear to be any way to restore your health during the level. Uh, but most of the levels take place in these sort of vignettes, these pieces of levels where they're mostly boss encounters, where you're trying to defeat a boss that takes several forms, and it's in, it's it's it is so frustrating because at the end of the at the uh, when when you die fight, uh, fighting those bosses, there's a line plot that has these little flags, sort of like maybe five different flags, and it tells you how far you've gotten. Yeah. And if you're right next to the very end, you know yeah. you, you know you almost beat that boss yeah. and you didn't. But this and game is so... also a lot about die and we try. So exactly. it's very yeah. frustrating, but it's also yeah. very addictive. Yeah. Fine. Well I, I think I think to a degree sort of it, it evidences it's a very good example of that Did idea you of the, the first level of of Cuphead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So How many times did you die? Probably 20 or 30. Yeah, it took me a while, especially sort of as I'm getting used to the controls, which speaking of, like, if you haven't done it yet, uh, there's a suggestion that I heard on another podcast that I listened to, remap the controls, because the, da the, the standard controls, having the buttons all on the face doing dash and stuff like that, it's so much easier. As soon as you move the, the dash to a trigger, okay. the game instantly becomes easier to mm. play. So... Um, so so that's that that's cool. As far as I've been seeing thus far, you know, Cuphead has been has been fantastic, a really good experience. I'd like to have seen the development of that game and yeah. see if it kind of started off heavier on the platforming, but they were just like actually the thing that everyone's talking about are the boss battles. Yeah, because it has a it has a much heavier focus on boss battles. Yeah, exactly. Than any other game, it makes up the meat yeah. of the game. I think it's at least as much of the platforming. Well, it's got to be much more than that. Yeah. Like, so of the of the levels that I've played thus far, it's been at least 80% of the boss battles. Oh, really? More, oh, okay. so, like, I mean, I, I can recall maybe two or three platforming levels, and most of the rest of bosses, like there's one where you fight like this this flower guy, and then there's a few where you take the body of a, you turn into an airplane, and it sort of becomes sort of like one of those old... Um, shooting games and stuff mm. like that. It's really, really quite interesting to sort of see how the dynamics of the game change as they go from different experience to different experience, but they're, they're primarily, even sort of those levels with the plane, they're not platforming levels, they're boss battles. Mm. Uh, there's one where you, you fight this, I think it's like a genie kind of thing that turns into completely different things over the course of the level, uh, which is really interesting. And um, 
Yeah, it's 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 uh, really really sort of <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're we're encountering our first interruption. So we need to do something. <laughs> well, so the game was really successful. It sold one million copies. I heard like two weeks ago. Yeah. Mm. So uh, yeah, that's really nice for indie game. It's really good, especially sort of given the fact that it's only released on two platforms. So it's on Xbox One and the Windows platform at this time. So for a small independent developer to be so successful, it's a really good story to see. Yeah. What's also interesting is that. The game started with only two uh, people, like two yeah. brothers, I think. And after that, they were uh, spotted by Microsoft. Yeah. And they invested in their ID and they eventually become a bigger team of like 12 people. Yeah. Mm. So that's really interesting. And I also like uh, the fact that you can play with local co-op, but I don't know why they didn't add the online co-op yet. I. I don't know, because I, I would imagine sort of it really depends on the netcode that you have. Because mm. if you've got poor netcode, say for example, you've got a fighting game that's not sort of in synchronous, mm. something that requires such very precise timing, they may just not have figured that out yet. Yeah, I, um, think, but I think for a studio, if you, if you need a very precise timing, muscle memory style action, yeah. and you're trying to do it online, you need an enormous team and a testing thing. And that I think even with right. Microsoft's help, that could have dwarfed, that would have just eaten. I'm not sure right. though, but I heard they were like working on it at the moment. Yeah. It could be like a phase two. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, but I would imagine that that's definitely, you know, a, a good reason as to why that wouldn't be implemented, at least initially. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, with that said, I do enjoy, I mean, especially something like that. I mean, that's a great game to play with somebody in a space together. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Do you guys have any other games that you really like that are like that? Like, what's your favorite couch co-op game? Uh, for me, it's Resident Evil. Uh, Resident Evil 5 and 6. Those oh, are like I never really, those co -op. really bad horror games. They're yeah. really action-based, actually. Yeah. But you, I don't know if it, how it's called. Like, you really need each other to, like, fulfill the tasks. Right. Yeah. So it's That's a symbiotic a, yeah. sort of kind of cooperation. Yeah. 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 It's really, really good. How does it look visually? Is, uh, is it split screen? Or yeah, split screen. Split yeah. screen. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. And they don't give you the option to do it vertically. It's just horizontally, right? Or, or are you not? Uh, it's only horizontally. And what yeah. I really like about this game is it, like, it's, one, it's one of the only co-op games that is yeah. really narrative driven. Like yeah. both mm -hmm. characters have a yeah, a reason for being there. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Because with drop in, drop out co-op games, you don't yeah. have that at all. Yeah, mm. it's true. And that's what I find very interesting. Yeah, I really liked Resident Evil Five. I never played Six because I heard terrible things, but yeah. I'd be curious to maybe check it out at some point. So, um, oh uh, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, yeah. So like, I'm, I'm actually I'm obsessed with couch co-op, and that's kind of a large reason I came to do okay. this course as well. So I, I meet up. Um, with some friends and kind of try and go through. I thought, well, I forced them to go through as much couch co-op as I can. But I'm really interested in as many players going in the room at the same time. So there's yeah. this game uh, that came out called Gang Beasts. It's still oh, in alpha, yeah, okay, yeah. But that has like a, it's one of those rare games that has an eight-player co-op. Well, not it's actually it's uh, not really co-op actually. To be fair, it's a brawler. Yeah, but it's just having eight people in the room plugged in and kind of fighting, but also shouting at each other. Sure. And you, you're these kind of little plasticine men that you can kind of pick up. You can throw each other. You can uh, knock someone off like uh, the side of a power station. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's great. And yeah, I basically, I just I'm kind of always on the lookout for a game that has more than six players. 
Yeah, you, can well, play you know, speaking of more than six players, the other day in class, Ben brought in uh, a version of J.S. Jaws or jo- Johann Sebastian Jaws, which was really interesting to sort of because I'd I'd heard about this game and I'd never actually gotten a chance to play it, and it was a lot more fun than I expected. Sort of like trying to hold the PlayStation Move controller without like any people. <laughs> yeah, moving yeah. It, like, unfortunately, there was no music, but yeah. uh, we kind of got the feeling of it. It was yeah. really nice. The music does that a lot. So I'm going to fix that. Well, I'm not yeah. sure what it was, but yeah. So why, why don't you describe the setup that we had there for people that are listening? Uh, well, the um, so what of the game or the how Both. it was set up? How, how, how it was set up and sort so, of like the game itself. So the game uh, was developed by a guy called Doug Wilson and was packaged into something called Sports Friends. Um, and this was kickstarted. It was a, basically it was all about couch co-op or couch um, competitive anyway. Uh, so they put it together, they ended up getting, it was another situation where they got finance from a studio, so Sony put a lot of money in, and it ended up becoming a Sony exclusive, because uh, basically Johann Sebastian Joust is a game where you hold a PS Move controller, which if you've not seen before is a motion wand with a kind of a ping pong ball on top of it, mm-hmm. which lights up in different colours. Um, and this is normally used for tracking on the PlayStation, but for this game, it was just uh, basically tracking the motion of your hand. So the point of the game is there's a number of you in the same space, the same play space, and you have to try and get other people to knock their controllers while keeping yours exactly the, uh, perfectly still. So you're kind of moving about as slowly as you can, but you have to make these violent actions at the same time as keeping your other hand still. Um, and it becomes like a ballet of movement basically as you move around. Um, so the problem was is it's a game that should be played outside, should be a game that you should be able to take wherever you want, but it got tied to this heavy console that requires a TV. Um, so one of the developers on the game, uh, he was already developing a Raspberry Pi version while they were developing the game, and I think he got to continue his work on that. So um, I don't know if we we're going to be able to do links on this podcast or... So I'll, I'll include a link, uh, basically, when we, we post this up. But there's a guy uh, who's put together a version of it. It runs on a headless Raspberry Pi, which means it doesn't need a screen. And if you've got a mobile battery and you've got a mobile speaker, you can just plug it all in. I've got it in this kind of Tupperware. And it's fantastic. I've played it on top of a mountain in Wales. I've played it oh, that's amazing. empty buildings. Well, I think that's fascinating to sort of be able to sort of take this experience and bring mm. that into places that don't expect that yeah you're 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 completely changing the world around you just by having this type of experience there Mm. uh not only that i imagine it really dramatically changes the experience to be able to play it in a place like that yeah uh actually one of the first places i saw it played uh was part of the wild rumpus and they took over a ship that was docked in canary wharf and we and it was kind of an old steel tanker ship and played, they played that inside on this enormous kind of metal room. And that was such an amazing thing because there were kind of columns to hide behind and different levels, and it just opened up the game. So the place that you play it is kind of as important. And if you can change that, it's essentially like choosing another le- uh, level in a game that you play on screen. Yeah. But you're bringing it wherever you want to, to play it, so you've got a lot more control. Oh, that's cool. You can kind of make it small and force yourselves to be close together, or you can expand the space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Really, definitely worth. So again, we'll we'll get that link up in the show notes that you, so that if you've got a Raspberry Pi and you've got access to a crazy number of move controllers, which trickier. Yeah. Which <laughs> also, is now. also, can you tell us the difference it makes if this play space is like bigger or smaller? Um, so if it's smaller, what, uh, obviously it's a quicker game. 
Um, but uh, what you find is in a smaller space, you just have... It's also more chaotic, I can imagine. Well, actually, when it's smaller, people are a lot stiller because they know that everyone's around them. So that everyone's <laughs> constantly aware of what's around them. So you find people freeze and just move very slowly. And this is very kind of strange, slow movement with sudden jolts. Oh, weird. Um, but uh, eventually people uh, lose patience and then someone will charge at someone. That's what happened when, 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 when at the end of the, when the other night. Like, I mean, we got to the point where it was me and uh, one of our classmates and I was walking over and, and, and we'd been dancing around for probably a good mm. like two, maybe three minutes. Yeah. I'm sitting here going like, okay, well now I've got to do something. And, yeah. and, and almost got him by twirling, twirling back, trying to sort of get to the back of his hand using the left hand. And I was holding the PlayStation Move controller in my right hand. And we we're sort of walking around. Basically, there's no music and we were basically dancing. It was really uh, crazy. And at some point it's like, okay, we need to, to finish this. So I, I went. And as I'm I'm going for him, I knock my move control, <laughs> and I end up just completely destroying yeah, I got, myself. So I got caught by surprise, like in the first five seconds. Like yeah. if, if, if you turn your back on someone, you're instantly dead. Yeah. yeah, that's it. You you have to be aware. Um, but the the other side of that is I saw it played in the enormous space, which was the ship. Yeah, and there was two hundred people in a huge ring watching these. Uh, I, I think it was a sixteen-player game. Yeah, it went on for about twenty minutes, wow. and it was vicious. And the last two were these two big guys, and they were going at it. Uh, it, and like the final battle seems to go on for five minutes and eventually one of them got the other yeah. and was just victorious but he looked at his controller because you see this flashing animation controller yeah. uh, and he was looking at it it was like no I've won but I'm not getting a thing and then everyone just spotted there was this really quiet small girl and she was just standing with her hands behind her back <laughs> like just at the edge of the stage and then she just lifted up her that's control that's amazing <laughs> that's, that's, that's so smart. awesome and she'd just been quietly circling everyone and I was yeah. like like I never thought about it, but it's so smart, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. You have to hide it. She got a huge round of applause. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's especially being able to sort of blend in without having any issues there. So, yeah. uh, cool. Um, all right. So uh, just to sort of keep moving on, I thought that was one of the really interesting things that we did in class recently that I thought was relevant to what we were talking about. Uh, do you guys have any experiences that we've done in class that really spoke to you? doesn't have to be sort of, you, you know, it can be any of the courses that we've been taking. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I think maybe the one, uh, I mean, the role-playing one was interesting uh, because we did that in a large group. Um, and it was interesting in terms of game design because there were so many different ideas and we really only just learned about the concept of what role-playing was yeah. in, a, you know, in a theoretical sense. Um, and all our ideas just completely came apart. Yeah. And they keep on, and it was the same with the board game challenge as well, but they kept on coming down to the, the most base elements. So the board game I made, because we had such a short amount of time, ended up just being based on chance. Yeah. And there wasn't really a lot of, of uh, tactic or skill or strategy. Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you go to if you're not sure what you're doing. And then the same thing with the role playing, because I was scared of having to build these structures and systems in such a short space of time, it just became performative. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's still like a legitimate kind of way of playing, but it was interesting to see how much work goes involved, is involved in actually building those systems and, and kind of yeah. how they're going to work. That's that was an intimidating experience I had. Well, I think, I think sort of like that intimidation is, a, is, is, is an aspect of us being able to learn. And we talk about how we're just getting into the actual theory and learning these 
hard names for the concepts that are the foundations of game development, especially because a lot of us don't come from game development backgrounds, although we've been playing games for a good amount of time. And that's not necessarily everybody in the course, and I think that that perspective is also really important too. So hopefully we'll get a chance to have everybody here uh, talking at some point. Um, but also sort of this idea of failure and, and facing that failure and embracing that failure is so important. It's not just sort of talking about, hey, let's go outside of our wheelhouse and not play first-person shooters and AAA games and stuff like that, but more sort of the, the idea that we're able to experience these things and not be afraid to share our ideas and not be afraid for them to fail because they will. And that's how we learn. And it's, it's so liberating to see that in an actual process. Uh, because I, I don't know about you guys, like in, the, in, in my professional experience in you know last several years, not every place is as willing or as open to new ideas. And I think that that's something that's really interesting about the game development space that's very unique. And I think that's really important. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the same. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I do uh, normally is I work in museums and I do create these kind of game experiences and I do them for expos as well. But for the reason I came to this course is I've not seen new ideas in that space that weren't based on just a new technology that they thought they could kind of use, not actual kind of theoretical study of what makes this an enjoyable experience. Um, it, it seems very dry up there. But yeah. that's a whole other thing. I mean, that's a huge thing to kind of go into. But yeah. That's kind of what drove me to come here, to see, kind of find this space where just more thought is put into the bare elements of what you're trying to do, and it's not just based on, oh, that's a cool technology. Yeah. Just do the bare minimum of that, and, you know, oh, the cool. technology will boom it enough to make it an experience. You, know, you need to have the quality of the experience there before you kind of apply the technology or the things that you think are going to actually... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Tommy, you know, it, what, what brought you to this experience specifically? Uh, what brought you to this program? Um, well, it's, it's uh, for the most part the independent games. Like, yeah. I really want to be become a, a indie dev in the future. I really want to work in small teams and like I want to give my ideas and not just like take orders from someone. Yeah. And just yeah, pro program. I want to like uh, also become more complete in each. Um, in each uh, aspect, like I don't want, only want to become a, a dev, I also want to know how you can model, how you can write a story and stuff like that. So yeah, I think this course will be very interesting for my development. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's absolutely sort of really parallels what we were just talking about, that idea or, or that, that necessity of being able to share our ideas, I think is a core concept that brought a lot of us to this program mm. uh, because we, we value that. I and mean, it's, 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 it's such an important thing in life to be able to sort of share your thoughts and be accepted. And especially in something where you're looking for a career and you know something that you're going to be fundamentally spending a huge amount of your life doing, you want to be able to have some input, some influence. You know, like it, it, it's, it's a lot harder sometimes to be able to sort of come up with that, but it's a lot more gratifying at times. So I think uh, with that said, I, I feel like that's a really good place to, to, to stop. Uh, and I've, I've really enjoyed that conversation that, that we've had today. I really appreciate you guys, both both Ben and yeah, Tom, thank for you. coming yeah, in. Thank yeah, you yeah, yeah, this is... Uh, this is wonderful. We will be doing uh, plenty more of these as we have time. Uh, I, 
ideally this will be going up on Friday, October 20th, uh, at which point we'll be sort of doing our best to do at least one podcast every Friday going forwards. Uh, look, you know, look for us next week. Hopefully you'll be hearing from myself and Tommy and Ben, and we've got another nine members of our team uh, that will be very willing and hopeful, hopefully we'll be able to share some of their input as well. And uh, in the future, we'll be able to share some more really cool things with you. We, we're, we're looking to play games together and sort of record that and share that with you guys and hopefully get some, some opportunities to talk to developers and professors. And as we progress, uh, hopefully you'll progress with us as well. So hope you enjoyed listening to the very first episode of the Playful Experiences podcast and have a great weekend. See you. <laughs> you, can, you, can say, you can say bye. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs>